beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Good works are important, and obedience to God's law is of utmost importance. We know this intuitively, and the Bible makes this quite clear in various places. Listen to only a few passages of Scripture. Christ says in Matthew 5, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Or consider what Paul tells Titus in Titus 3 verse 8. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. And then only a few verses later, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. So obviously, from Scripture, good works and living according to God's law is extremely important. It's what God wants us to do. However, what's not always obvious to our minds is that there can be a certain danger that comes with good works. Now, that might sound strange. How can there be something dangerous that comes with good works? Well, the danger comes when we don't keep good works in their proper place, also in our relationship to God. And as we hope to see this afternoon, Scripture gives some warnings also about this, and so I've summarized the sermon this afternoon as follows, keep good works in their proper place. We'll see that our good works, first of all, do not give us a right standing before God. Uh, second, they are rewarded by God's grace. And third, they flow from our union with Christ. Well, Lord's Day 24 begins by asking, but why can our good works not be our righteousness before God, or at least a part of it? Now, the catechism here is speaking about our justification before God, something we also heard about last week with Lord's Day 23. And justification is all about how God the judge declares us just or righteous before Him. Justification is about gaining a right standing before God. And it's of the greatest importance to get this right. Justification is about how we are received into God's favor. It's about how we escape eternal punishment. So, we, we need to be careful and get this right according to Scripture. And the Catechism is asking, do our good works count in any way towards our right standing with God? And the answer is an emphatic no. But why is this the case, we might ask? Why can't our good works be placed at this point so that by them we do enter into a right relationship with God? Well, Scripture answers this in various places. I'm only going to give a, a few verses, but just consider Galatians 3, verse 10. Galatians 3, verse 10 says, All who rely on works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. If we were to rely on our good works, 
We would have to abide by everything written in the book of the law. We couldn't do it. All who rely on the works of the law in order to gain a right standing with God are under a curse. As the Catechism puts it, the righteousness which can stand before God's judgment must be absolutely perfect and in complete agreement with the law of God. It's similar to what we read in Galatians 5. The Galatian church Christians were in danger of seeking their justification partly through their own effort. And so Paul warns them in what we read together, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. So we must be careful. Keeping good works in their proper place means keeping them out of our justification before God. It means not making them the righteousness by which we are accepted by God. To press this point home, the Bible uses the image of a slave. The Scripture warns us against certain types of slavery. One slavery the Bible warns against is trying to earn your place in God's family, trying to earn the right to God's inheritance. God is clear in the Bible that we can't do this. And if we try to do this, we will fail. No one earns their place into God's family. No one earns a right to God's inheritance. What does Scripture say? Well, the slave in a household, the slaves in a household do not have a right to the inheritance. Of course, the children do. And the simple fact is we do not become children of God by our own effort. Just think of you with your own family. Not one of you earned your way into your family. You were born into it, or perhaps you were adopted into it. But we don't earn our way into our families. It's the same thing in God's family. We do not enter God's family by our own works. Christ has done this for us. We are born into God's family by the power of the Holy Spirit as we are born from above. Think of the example found in our reading in Galatians 4. Abraham had two children by two different women. One was born of a slave woman, Ishmael through Hagar. And one was born by a free woman, Isaac through Sarah. And which, of these, which one of these children received the inheritance? It was Isaac, the one born of a free woman, the child of the promise. The Spirit says through Paul that these things can be interpreted allegorically. Those who try to receive God's inheritance by their own effort, they are under slavery. They are children according to the flesh. They will fail in their attempts and will not receive the inheritance. 
What does the Apostle Paul write in verse 30? What does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. On the other hand, those who receive God's inheritance by the way of faith in God's promise, they are the true children. They are the children born from above by the Spirit. They receive the promise through faith by the power of God's Spirit. They are the ones who are heirs. And this is why it's important to keep good works in their proper place. They do not belong in our justification before God, how we are, we are made right with Him, how we are brought into His family. That brings us to our next point. Our good works are rewarded by God's grace. Now, given what we just looked at in the first point, we might then ask, well, what about rewards then? After all, Scripture talks about God rewarding someone according to their deeds in various places. And this is true. And we see this come up in the next question and answer of Lord's Day 24. But do our good works or nothing, even though God promises to reward them in this life and the next? Now, there's one problematic word here in this question, the, the thinking behind this question. It's not the word reward. No, scripture shows us that God does reward. The problematic word behind this type of thinking is the word earned. That's the idea we want to avoid. The idea that our good works earn something that they merit something before God. And the Catechism highlights this when it says, any re reward we receive, it, it's not earned, it's a gift of grace. See, it's actually impossible that we could ever earn something from God. You know, when a, when a person works at their job, that person's wages, they're properly, properly earned. The boss owes something to his employee for the work that has been completed. Well, God never owes us something in that sense. We are indebted to Him. He is never indebted to us. And you will never have a situation where you can say to God, I've done this, Lord, and now you owe me that. Yes, God rewards good works at times. He does this generally when His commandments are, are obeyed. A life of obedience is a good life, right? God has designed this world so that life flourishes when His commandments are obeyed. And that's part of the reward we can talk about. And it cannot be any other way. There is a general sense in which the way of sin just it brings suffering. And the way of obedience, it, it brings prosperity. Now, I mean this in the sense that sin will always damage life. And obedience, on the ha other hand, will cause life to flourish. 
And God sometimes also rewards specific works. He does this by His good pleasure. And God does these things also so that He would emphasize to us what a life pleasing to Him is. But even so, we must stand on guard against the worker-boss idea in our, in our relationship to God. It's so easy to slip into that mode where we say, no, I'm doing such and such good thing, and now God is going to give me something for it. And it's going to damage your faith if you're working with that idea, God owes me X for doing Y. You see, what happens when you don't get that thing you think you should get? Or when you have been doing something good and then suffering comes into your life? Your faith might be damaged then. Or you might even get angry at the Lord. You might think that God is a bad boss who's not keeping up his end of the deal. And then you may start serving someone or something else. This was the very problem with the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. The elder brother became angry when the father showed grace to the younger brother. You see, the, the father's grace to the younger brother didn't fit with the older brother's work pay scheme. When the father held a banquet because his older son returned, The elder brother, he refused to participate. He got angry. He said to his father, Look, these many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your commandment, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Can Can you see his slavish attitude? And literally, the, brother, the older brother says, all these years, I've been slaving for you. What was his father's reply? Son, you are always with me. And all that I have, all that is mine, is yours. Right? The older brother needed to put away his worker-boss mentality in his relationship to his father. And we need to put that away too. Yes, there is a scriptural sense in which we are servants and even slaves of God. That's a fitting language too at times, but we're not slaving away to get something from God. This is a happy, joyful service. We need to first think of our relationship to God as a a father-son relationship. And we are serving Him in the sense of a dearly loved child, delighting to serve a loving Father. And it delights God to see His children serving Him in that sense. Freely, lovingly, joyfully. And it's in that context that we should think also of of God's rewards for good works. 
you know, in this regard, I, I appreciate an illustration one of my former, former ministers once used. It stuck with me. He said that when he was a boy living at home with his parents, when he was a young boy, one day he decided to wash his dad's car. Now, being fairly, or his father didn't ask him to do it, but he wanted to do it anyways. So, by his own initiative, he got out some cleaning supplies and the garden hose, and he washed the car. Now, being fairly young, the job he did washing the car was far from perfect. There were streaks left in numerous places, and some spots were barely washed at all. So, it was far from a perfect job. And yet, when his father saw what his son did, he rewarded him with a bit of money. Did that child earn or merit something from his father and how he washed the car? No, it was an imperfect job. If he got the same service from a, a car wash station somewhere in town, he would probably demand his money back. And yet the father still rewarded him for his work. That's a good way to understand the rewards God gives our good works. And any reward we gain is not earned, it is a gift of grace. That brings us to our last point. The catechism naturally brings up another question. Does this teaching not make people careless and wicked? And that's quite often the objection that comes with the teaching of justification by faith alone, by grace alone. You know, people say, well, if we are justified apart from what we've done or what we will do, why don't we just go on sinning? The Apostle Paul, he anticipated this very objection. Right after describing our justification in Christ through God's free gift of grace in Romans 5, he then asked in Romans 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, by no means, he says. And it is true that some people might twist Scripture's teaching on this. They might use God's free grace as, as an excuse to simply embrace a life of sin. But that's not the reasoning true believers use. Remember, God, our Father, does not want us living lives of cruel slavery. And we saw in the first point that this means we can't earn our way into His family. We can't work to gain our inheritance. It won't work that way. But there's another sense in which God does not want us in slavery. God, our Father, will not have His children living in slavery to sin. Now, which, which of you parents desire to see your children enslaved to destructive behaviors? I'm certain that none of you do. Well, God the Father does not want us enslaved to sin. And so, He not only adopts us freely by His grace in Christ, but he also gives us the power to set us free from slavery 
to sin. A bitter slavery it is. See, God gives us the power to obey Him through Christ His Son. Christ Jesus gives us the strength to say no to that ugly slavery to sin. And Christ gives us the desire to say yes to that beautiful service to God, a willing service to God for His free grace. And Christ gives us the power to bear the fruit of righteousness. We saw this in our reading from John 15. There Christ gives the image of the vine and the branches. Christ is a true vine. In Him is life. And we as believers, as God's people, are the branches. And we are in Christ. We are grafted into Him as Lord's Day 24 says. He gives us the power to bring forth fruits of thankfulness. And it is impossible, as Lord's Day 24 says, that those who are united to Christ by the Spirit should not bear this fruit. Christ says in John 15, verses 4 and 5, Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. See, we're not working all by ourselves to bear fruit to God. And we are not trying to bear fruit in order to be accepted by God. No, we are in Christ, and we are accepted by God in Him. And it is in Christ that we bear fruit by Christ's powerful working in us. If you are in Christ, it's impossible that you would not be changed. It's impossible for true believers to just keep going in a life of sin and never change as if we were still dead in sin. No, we have been raised with Christ. We are alive in Him, and so we will live a new life. The Lord's Supper gives us this same message. We have the privilege of celebrating the Lord's Supper this afternoon. What is one of the messages it proclaims to us? same message Christ gives in John 15. We need to be in Christ and He in us. We need to be grafted into Him. And it proclaims we are grafted into Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. We share in His true body and blood. And it is through this union with Christ that we are renewed also for bringing forth fruit to God. So as you partake of the Lord's Supper, be reminded and assured that Christ Jesus lives in you. He is the vine. We are the branches. We receive life in Him. It's ritual life 
to live for God. And as Christ says, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Amen.